Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and you're listening to Words on Film on WBCALP Boston. I will be reviewing some of the newest movies out right now. Last week, without me even realizing it, I published my 200th podcast episode of Words on Film, and I'm very proud to have taken this radio show and this podcast as far as I have. Granted, I started this radio show back in January of 2014, and I've still been going strong. In fact, in January of 2024, I should do some sort of 10-year retrospective or do some sort of celebration, but that's going to be about five or six months from now, so I won't really worry about that right now. I don't exactly know what to do for this retrospective except maybe to blow a horn into the microphone or something like that, but regardless... For this show, I have four movies to review for you. Three of them are brand new uh, from this past weekend, and one of them actually came from the previous weekend, but I didn't get to review it until now. So I'm going to do that near the end of the show. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you, which I think is going to be the highest grossing new film of this past of this coming weekend is Haunted Mansion. Will it gross more than the Barbie film or Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer Oppenheimer maybe. Barbie, I doubt it, but still, I think that this movie has some merit, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. Haunted Mansion is both based on the classic Disneyland and Walt Disney World ride. I've been on this ride at Walt Disney World twice. And I've been amazed. It is creepy, definitely, but in sort of a borderline family-friendly kind of way. I I really liked going on this ride. But they made a movie out of it back in 2003 that starred Eddie Murphy. And while I haven't seen the film, it does have a reputation for being bad. So this Haunted Mansion film that's coming out in 2023 is not, I don't think, an exact remake of the 2003 film, but I think it's doing something that Disney should probably be doing with their bad films rather than their greater films, especially their greater animated films. It's remaking the bad to mediocre films as opposed to remaking their great films, and it is certainly a very ambitious remake. The director of this film is Justin Simeon, who has previously directed two films, He's directed several shorts and TV episodes as well, but in terms of being a director, he's he started out in 2014 directing Dear White People, which I think is a criminally underrated film even to this day. And he also directed Bad Hair back in 2020. If that movie hadn't come out during the pandemic, it probably would have been released in theaters, but it came out on Hulu instead, and it caused a lot of controversy, but I thought it was very good for its satire. With this movie, Haunted Mansion, not only does Justin Simeon take a departure from his previous two films that he directed, and some of which he wrote just by getting away from satire, but he also has arguably a bigger budget here than both of his other films which he's directed combined. And this film is also also more commercially accessible. But it revolves around a single mom by the name of Gabby, who's played by Rosario Dawson, who hires a tour guide, played by Lakeith Stanfield, a psychic, Harriet, played by Tiffany Haddish, 
a priest played by Owen Wilson, and a historian played by Danny DeVito to help exercise her newly bought mansion in New Orleans after discovering it is inhabited by ghosts. So I can't make any comparisons between this film and the original Haunted Mansion film starring Eddie Murphy because I haven't seen that film. I only know it by reputation, so I won't make any comparisons there. But this movie does pretty well in its characterization. We're introduced first to the tour guide, Ben Mathias, who is played by Lakeith Stanfield, who doesn't actually start off as a tour guide. He actually is a nuclear physicist who lives in New Orleans and actually befriends and later marries a tour guide in New Orleans who believes in ghosts, who's named Alyssa, who's played by Charity Jordan. And years later, we're not given any exposition, at least at first, about what happened to Alyssa, but you know it's something bad because Lakeith Stanfield's character is down on his luck, an alcoholic, and he also has retired from being a nuclear physicist and become a tour guide instead why he's taking that step down it's not exactly explained at first but the more this movie continues the the more you get a backstory behind what happened to his wife Alyssa and I think it's actually very good that the movie took that non-linear approach to Lakeith Stanfield's character's backstory but He eventually gets visited by a priest by the name of Father Kent, who I guess is Catholic, but he's played by Owen Wilson, and he doesn't... uh, Owen Wilson probably wasn't raised Catholic, so he doesn't make a very convincing Catholic, at least from what I know about Catholic priests, but he does make a very colorful and interesting character, and definitely a bit of a departure from Owen Wilson's usual... Not so much likable characters, but likable womanizing characters that he's played for the last 22, 25 years. But it's good that Owen Wilson has kind of stepped past his usual characters that he's played. And of course, we're introduced to Rosario Dawson's character, Gabby, who has a son, Travis, who's played by Chase Dillon. And when they embark upon this mansion that they're that that they feel obligated to fix up and who could blame them because it's a mansion in New Orleans that's run down and once you fix that up it's only money making from there on out they begin to rethink their plan when they begin to be haunted by various ghosts and i actually really like the first scene between Rosario Dawson and Chase Dillon where Chase Dillon's character is completely convinced that the place is haunted, and Rosario Dawson is in denial until she sees a knight in shining armor that's supposed to be empty but is moving instead. Her reaction to that is really classic and very relatable. And eventually she assembles Lakeith Stanfield's character, who's a tour guide who knows a lot about New Orleans' past with ghosts, and not only have I been to New Orleans, I've also been on a ghost tour, and the, the city of New Orleans has a lot of very fascinating legends of the occult, and if you have not gone on a ghost tour in New Orleans itself, I highly recommend it. It's not scary so much, but the, the tour guide that I had was a, a really good storyteller, and I actually learned a lot about New Orleans' uh, sordid past, especially before it was even a U.S. state when it belonged to France. But in any event, 
Once you get Lakeith Stanfield, Owen Wilson, Tiffany Haddish, and Danny DeVito together, not to mention Rosario Dawson and Chase Dillon, to exercise the demons from this mansion, not only do they work incredibly well together and each have their own moments of comic relief, but they also uncover a very good ghost story that I think, even though I haven't seen the original Haunted Mansion, as I said previously, it probably is better than... The, the original Haunted Mansion, I was kind of bracing myself to be disappointed because the main spirit that negatively haunts this mansion is named Crump, and he's played by Jared Leto. And I've been sorely disappointed by many of the films in which Der- Jared Leto has acted over the last five or ten years, but... Fortunately here, I think Jared Leto plays it pretty straight, and considering that Jared Leto isn't particularly likable anymore based on his uh, offset behavior and also his annoying method acting habits, at least he plays someone who's a villain who you're not supposed to like. So in that regard, I think he's actually pretty well cast. And there's also another ghost in this film who is a psychic who tried to exercise the demons from this mansion, but failed and ended up being dead as a result. Her name is Madame Leota, and she's played by Jamie Lee Curtis. And like Jared Leto, Jamie Lee Curtis's acting is mostly CGI in a lot of respects, but she does pretty well with with her scenes as well, and she also happens to be very funny in several scenes. And there are some other appearances in this film by other well-known actors who almost make cameos as opposed to playing central characters here. I I think they actually could have, based on the talent that they've got for these other side characters, their roles could have been bigger. But overall, I was prepared to be disappointed by Haunted Mansion based on the reputation of the original 2003 movie with Eddie Murphy, added to the fact that Jared Leto plays a role in this, but I honestly wasn't. I was really taken in by some of the clever exposition here. Some of it was spoken, but uh, others of it was shown. But either way, it was very intriguing with a sec- with with an exception of a few draggy parts here and there. I thought the central characters in this film were very funny whether or not they were full-on comic relief or not. And I think Lakeith Stanfield, even though he's probably the lesser known of the five principal actors who take up most of the story in this film. I I think he actually played a great central character here. It's not the first time he's played the main, main character, but it is the first time he's played it in a big-budget film, and it's likely, based on his performance in this film, that you'll see it again. But in addition to the performances in the film, the special effects were amazing, and I think the motion capture CGI, especially on Jamie Lee Curtis and Jared Leto's character, was well worth the budget of this film, not to mention the set design as well, and I really think that even though the film is rated PG-13 and might scare some younger viewers, it's not so scary that it would give children over the age of 10 nightmares. It also happens to be very funny, and the the horror elements are really good as well without being without leaving you petrified. So this version of Haunted Mansion from 2023 gets my rating of a knockout. I think that the casting department assembled a great cast here that works incredibly well together. Justin Simeon did an amazing job directing not only his first 
major big budget feature film, but also one that deviates away from satire and in a good way. And I think he's very skilled with satire based on his previous two films. But when it comes to actually directing a big budget film that is a departure thematically from his other films, he could do that very well as well. And I was overall very enthralled with Haunted Mansion. But with that said, I think that Disney did make a mistake not releasing this film in October, but rather releasing it in July. It didn't work for the original Hocus Pocus, which came out literally 30 years ago around this time. But it may work with Haunted Mansion. All I could say is that I thought it was effectively scary at parts. It was very funny. But it also primarily used its special effects as well as the great chemistry with its cast to tell a great story. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Talk to Me. This is not to be confused with the 2007 movie that starred Don Cheadle and Chiwetel Ejiofor. That film was a comedy drama about an ambitious radio disc jockey. It's a very good film, and especially for somebody who's been in radio for over 20 years, it's certainly very cathartic in other aspects but this movie talk to me has nothing to do with radio and it's also not an especially funny movie although it does have some funny parts but the point i'm trying to make here is even though it shares the same name with the 2007 film it's not related at all unlike the 2007 film talk to me this 2023 version of talk to me was filmed and made in Australia. And according to IMDb, it's actually a 2022 film, not a 2023 film. I don't know exactly why that is, but regardless, it made its way to the United States, and it's directed by first-time feature directors Danny and Michael Philippou, who are brothers. And they have previously directed some short films and actually a lot of YouTube videos, believe it or not. And their YouTube videos I haven't seen, but from what I've researched, they're a lot along the lines of jackass. It's a lot of people performing a a lot of uh, pranks and some very juvenile as well as potentially lawsuit (laughs) pending pranks. But this film, I think delves in some way with the goofiness of teens and sometimes the lengths to which they can go to entertain themselves, kind of like Danny and Michael Philippou's previous YouTube videos, but it is effectively scary. And it's about a group of friends who live in suburban Sydney, Australia, who discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand. And when they do, they become hooked on the new thrill until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. The primary character in this film is a girl by the name of Mia, who's played by Sophie Wilde. And Sophie Wilde is a native of Australia. And unlike most of the other characters in this film, or most unlike most of the other actors in this film, Uh, Sophie Wilde is black, 
And you don't see actually a lot of black Australian actors make their way into the American uh, films that are American or you know what I mean. And actually, I, I don't know of any other black actors or actresses from Australia. I was thinking Tandy Newton would be one. And even though Tandy Newton has been in some Australian films, she hasn't been in, or rather she was born in London. So she doesn't qualify. So Sophie Wilde is a first in my book. And judging from this film, which is the first one in which I've seen her, but not the first one in which she's acted, I'd love to see her in other productions, be them Australian, British, American, whatever. But she is the central character in this film who kind of goes along with her friends, finds this embalmed hand, and conjures up, uh, or rather lets the spirits of this embalmed hand overtake her. It would have been actually kind of nice to see what the, the person who is under the influence of this embalmed hand, what they actually see and experience when they're, when they are under the influence of these spirits, but you don't actually see that. And while I say it's nice to see, I actually think slightly contradicting myself here. It is cool to see what this person looks like when possessed in the eyes of the other teenagers who are at this party It's very scary, but it's also very intriguing. And in other words, teenagers would totally do this if it meant getting this kind of cheap thrill from this mysterious entity. And the the theme of teenagers doing stupid things, getting in over their heads, and paying the consequences is a theme that's been done plenty of times before, especially in horror films. But... Not with an embalmed hand. And also, the film leaves a lot of questions that are unanswered. But the very last scene that involves Sophie Wilde is very intriguing. It's very mysterious, but it also leaves a lot of questions unanswered that could potentially be answered in a sequel. And one of the things that I hate about sequels, particularly those that are made in America under the Hollywood system, is if the first film in a horror film or rather when a horror film comes out and it's really scary Hollywood jumps on it and makes sequels but there's a saying in storytelling not to mention in movies that the sequel is never better than the original and that's not true however I think that is absolutely true in horror films I think that the original horror film is usually the best And the other sequels, even if they might come within the vicinity of being good to potentially great, pale in comparison to the original. However, I do think, even though there has not been, in my opinion, a horror sequel that's been better than the original, I do think that a sequel would potentially benefit the film Talk to Me, if only to to answer some unanswered questions in this film. I'd also like to see Sophie Wilde again because she is a magnetic actress and I believe this is her first horror film. It's not her first film that she's made, but it's her first horror film and it's the first film that she's made that's gotten a wide release in the United States. And I'd honestly love to see more. There are other great actors in this film as well, but once the the really bad stuff gets going in this film, it's hard to avert your eyes and it's also it also starts out kind of fun with these 
teens doing these really stupid things and getting cheap thrills, as many teenagers do. It's just part of growing up. But, yeah, don't mess with the paranormal if you're a teenager. I guess that's uh, what I have to say to my younger listeners. But getting back to the subject at hand, Talk to Me, excuse me, is a great first for not only actress Sophia Wilde, but also the directors Danny and Michael Philippou, who have had experience making films before. In fact, they did have a hand in making the film The Babadook, which was another film from the continent of Australia. But Talk to Me is something that is completely their own. They direct it really well. And Talk to Me gets my rating of a knockout. It's not always a scary film, but when it gets scary, it gets really scary. And it also leaves enough mystery for you to wonder what they're going to cover later on when, when they inevitably make a sequel, which I think is going to be which I think they're going to make in the next couple of years. Don't quote me on that, but one thing I can say is that based on the original Talk to Me, I'm looking forward to seeing any potential sequel. Hopefully it lives up to the original, but it's it's not working very well historically in their favor, but of course we will have to see. Back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Theater Camp, which is a mockumentary that's a comedy and is directed by Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman. And it is actually based on a short film of the same name, which Nick Lieberman directed and co-wrote with Molly Gordon. And Molly Gordon has had some extensive Broadway experience, and she also co-stars in this film along with Ben Platt, who's best known for playing the title role in the Broadway show and the movie based on the Broadway show, Dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen was a huge hit when it was released on Broadway years ago. The movie that came out two years ago was not as well received and the primary critique even though i didn't think the movie version of dear evan hansen was that bad i still didn't think it was great but ben platt reprised his role as evan hansen even though it is clear that ben platt is in his uh, or was in his late 20s actually he is in his late 20s now he's going to turn 30 on september 24th of this year 2023 but here in this film i think he makes up for the non-hit that the movie version of Dear Evan Hansen was. And even though I didn't think Dear Evan Hansen was great, it was worlds away better than Cats. And that's how I compare all movie musicals that I see. They're either near the best, like Cabaret, which is my favorite movie musical, or they're amongst the worst, like Cats. It's a scale from Cabaret to Cats, which I should actually copyright, but in, in any event... So in this film, Ben Platt and Molly Gordon play theater camp counselors Amos and Rebecca Diane. And yeah, Molly Gordon's character's name is, uh, first name is hyphenated. 
And the theater camp to which they counsel every year is run by a woman by the name of Joan Rabinsky, who's played by Amy Sedaris. And Joan Rabinsky, along with another casting director by the name of Rita Cohen, who's played by Caroline Aaron, go to various high school and rather junior high productions of shows, particularly musicals, looking for campers to come to their camp. Because the more campers they get, the more money that they receive. But after seeing a version of the musical Bye Bye Birdie that's put on by a junior high production, Amy Sedaris's character actually has a heart attack and is put in a coma. So her son, Troy Robinski, played by Jimmy Tatro, takes over for her mother. And Jimmy Tatro plays a guy who is supremely underqualified to run anything, let alone a camp. He is an influencer, and he's also a frat boy who never really grew up. And the actor who plays him, Jimmy Tatro, has previously been in a movie called The Machine, where he plays the younger counterpart of the star of the movie, Burt Kreischer, who not only starred in that film, but also wrote it. And Jimmy Tatro, who is also in his late 20s, does very well playing a bro or, you know, one of those frat boy guys who I probably would have hated when I was in college. And he plays him very well. And I think actually Jimmy Tatro does incredibly well, not only playing this role, but also realizing he's way in over his head, both in terms of the financials of running this struggling theater camp, but also connecting with the supremely ambitious campers that he's has to watch over along with many of the other staff here. And as I said previously, theater camp, I can't speak very much for the 2020 short upon which this is based, but this movie is a mockumentary very similar to The Office, and I think it plays very well as a mockumentary. Sometimes some of the subtitles that fill in the narrative blanks tell a little bit more than I think is necessary, but some of them are also very funny. But when the subtitles are not telling and not showing, I think the actors here do a very good job playing their roles. Some of the counselors here are not only teaching, but they also have Broadway ambitions themselves. And in fact, that causes a conflict between Rebecca Diane and Amos Klobuchar, Molly Gordon and Ben Ben Katz characters respectively, especially when Molly Gordon is on the phone with her agent getting what could be a big gig for her and consequently having to leave the camp, especially when it comes to directing their final show, which they wrote and composed themselves, which is a tribute to Amy Sedaris's character, who is still in a coma as the theater camp is going on. And actually, I loved a lot of the songs that they wrote for this show for the Joan Rubinsky character. And I think probably one of the richest scenes in this movie is when it's obvious that Molly Gordon's character didn't write the final song for this play. And she gets up and she kind of makes it up with a a harpsichord as she is on stage trying to make it seem like she spent hours writing the song. It actually reminded me very much of the 
Saturday Night Live recurring characters Garth and Cat, who are played by Fred Armisen and Kristen Wiig, respectively. It's obvious that they made the songs up, but it's it's hilarious what they can actually come up with. But what's even better is the way that Ben Platt's character adapts that song into the final show that's being put on for some investors as well as the campers' parents. And there are also some other relatively brilliant acting performances in this film as well. I think just about every ca- every kid who's in this camp sells their part incredibly well. They're very ambitious, sometimes to a fault, and they're also very talented. But another character that I loved in this film was one by the name of Janet Walsh, who's played by Ayo Edebiri, who is a very good uh, character actor. And from what I know, she is actually in the show Black Mirror as well as The Bear. And neither of these shows I've seen, but I know that she's been celebrated for her roles in these shows. And here she plays a counselor who lied on her resume to get the position. And also, it's clear she doesn't know anything about theater, let alone how to teach kids. It would have been nice if her character had been a little bit more developed, but I think that Ayo Edaberry does well with what she's given, not to mention every scene that has her in it is just flat out funny. And being in, having been in theater productions myself, but not having gone to theater camp, I know a lot of the people in this film. I don't know the actors, them personally, but I definitely know the types. I know the casting directors. In fact, the the character that Caroline Aaron plays is to a T like a casting director I know personally from Boston Casting. Not only in terms of her mannerisms, but also in terms of her voice, which made me believe that this casting director was actually in the film. So that's a testament to how good Caroline Aaron plays this role. But I also recognized some of the other really ambitious kids, particularly those who can sing, who know they can sing, and belted out American Idol style. And I, I know those kinds of people too. So there was a lot to love about Theater Camp. Yeah, I think it was great that they made it into a mockumentary, and a lot of times it felt real. And it also felt real in the sense that if I hadn't known who some of these actors like Ben Platt and Jimmy Tatro and, for that matter, Amy Sedaris were before I went into this film, I would have thought this was an actual documentary. So Theater Camp is an excellent film, probably one of the funniest films of the of the year, and it gets my rating of a knockout. And just like a great Broadway musical production that has a big finish, the finish here is quite amazing. Not, not to mention that the last song is incredibly funny. And I really hope the Oscars take notice, if, not, if for nothing else, at least for Best Original Song. This is a film where the play within the movie felt very organic, very real, very rough around the edges, and very intriguing at that. So I absolutely loved Theater Camp.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is They Cloned Tyrone. This is a film I'm a little bit late to because it was released on Netflix on July 21st, 2023, and I didn't get to see it until a little while later. But as of the date of this podcast, it is the number one film, in fact, the number one project, period, that is being seen on Netflix. Of course, that will change a little later. But it's a film that actually debuted at the American Black Film Festival on June 14th, 2023. It debuted in select theaters on July 14th and then debuted on Netflix a little while later to obviously a wider audience. They Clone Tyrone is the second feature film of director Jewel Taylor. There was one feature film that he directed back in 2017, which was called Actors Anonymous, and it was a film adaptation of James Franco's novel, Actors Anonymous. Why that wasn't bigger, I don't exactly know. But Jewel Taylor's had a lot of experience in the film industry so far. In terms of screenplays, he's directed the, or excuse me, he has written the screenplay to Creed II, and he also controversially wrote the screenplay and the story to Space Jam A New Legacy, which made a lot of people's worst of list back in 2021. I didn't think it was that bad, but it did pale in comparison to the original Space Jam with Michael Jordan. But Joel Taylor is unlikely to ruffle as many nostalgic feathers with They Clone Tyrone, although They Clone Tyrone does take some inspiration behind from some black exploitation films of the early to mid seventies, as well as some satirical black films of late, like dear white people, and probably most especially get out. And this film takes place in the ghetto. What ghetto exactly? It's a place that's known at least colloquially as the Glen, but it's never specified where this film takes place. It could take place in or it's actually established that it doesn't take place in the suburbs of L.A., like Compton. But it, it could take place in Roxbury, Massachusetts, in uh, Washington Heights, New York City, or one of those kinds of places. Or it could take place in somewhere in the South, where it seems to be sometimes it's implied that this takes place. But there are three ca- main characters in this film. There is a drug dealer by the name of Fontaine, who's played by John Boyega. There's a pimp who's played by Slick Charles, who's played by Jamie Foxx. And there is a sex worker who is colloquially known as a ho, whose name is Yo-Yo, who's played by Tayona Paris. All three of these principal actors have played far more positive black people before, not these kinds of black stereotypes. And for the first 15 to 20 minutes of the film, I did watch the movie, and even though I was intrigued by the story, I did think to myself that these three actors have played better roles before. Jamie Foxx has won an Academy Award for portraying Ray Charles, which was a deserved win for him. Tayona Paris is educated at Juilliard, and John Boyega has been snubbed for Oscars twice, the first time for the movie... Detroit, and the second time from the movie Breaking, in which he was excellent and played a far more positive black character. I'm not necessarily saying he played a role model, although in Detroit, he probably did play something resembling a role model, but he's definitely played far more 
developed characters than a drug dealer. But as the movie progresses, all three of these characters actually develop a lot more admirable traits as characters, especially when they find themselves embarked in a mystery and where you learn a little bit more about their backstories. They break free of a lot of these stereotypes, even though they don't necessarily break out of their circumstances. But the movie They Clone Tyrone involves a series of eerie events that thrust this unlikely trio onto the trail of a nefarious government conspiracy in this pulpy mystery caper. And this movie definitely does have a lot of pulp, but very much like pulpy films like Pulp Fiction, amongst others, it is very intriguing. It is in some ways a lot of fun. And there are scenes in this film involving people killing other people that will likely make you flinch. And the movie starts out with Fontaine collecting his dues as a drug dealer from this pimp, Slick Charles. And when he does, he's shot and killed. This happens in the first 15 minutes. But even though John Boyega's character has a memory of what went on up to the point where he was shot and killed, he kind of wonders how he came back to life. And as he is starting to explore how he came back to life, it leads him as well as Jamie Foxx and Tiona Paris's characters down a rabbit hole where they uncover this government conspiracy, which I won't give away, but it does, as the movie implies, involve cloning. It also involves brainwashing. And there's actually a very clever part in the movie where there is an advertisement for a soda that's called Soma, S-O-M-A-A-A-A-H. And yeah, I, I didn't make a mistake there. That's actually how it's spelled. But that actually cleverly alludes, I believe, to the drug that the characters in Aldous Huxley's novel Brave New World take to be happier. It's like lithium, except it actually not only makes people happier, but it also erases their painful memories. And it can be a dangerous drug if you consider pain something that makes you who you are. So by getting rid of your bad memories, you're actually taking away a part of yourself. It's something that's, even though I wasn't crazy about the novel Brave New World, and it certainly had some things with which I disagreed, I actually thought that was a very good, not only MacGuffin, but also a great revelation into consciousness and humanity. I think that's a topic that They Clone Tyrone does address very cleverly and also very entertainingly. But Soma, this soda, is only advertised. It, doesn't, it isn't shown. Nobody's shown drinking it. But there are other products that are, that are advertised that the trio here begins to believe is brainwashing the citizens of the Glen. Now, why is the government doing this to this community that's largely black? I'm not going to tell you. But the movie does tell you as it progresses, and there is a lot of clever exposition. There is a great borderline cameo. The reason I say borderline is because the actor in this film who's white, who is credited, but he makes a great antagonist. And it, it is surprising to see him in this film, especially given the rest of the cast of this film. But I'm not going to give away who it is because his, his appearance in this film is very good, and it's also very surprising as well. But I absolutely love this film a lot more than I thought I was going to during the first 
15 minutes. At first, I thought this is a film that's delving into negative black stereotypes, and it seems exploitative. But as the movie progresses, it you begin to realize that exploitation is actually the point of this film because it's the government and their conspiracy that is exploiting a whole community. And they say they're doing it for the good of humanity, but of course that leads to a lot of very problematic questions and good problematic questions in the context of this film. So They Clone Tyrone is a film that is very dark, as you might expect. It's also unexpectedly funny. And who is Tyrone? Well, I'm going to tell you first that They Clone Tyrone gets my rating of a very enthusiastic knockout. It's a film that starts off relatively typical exploitation film, which is troublesome in this day and age. But as it develops, it creates a better story. And the three characters who start off as stereotypes eventually develop into more round characters. So it's a knockout for that reason. But you probably noticed that the main characters of this film are played are named Fontaine, Slick Charles, and Yo-Yo. Who is Tyrone? The movie doesn't say throughout most of it, but there is a very revealing scene at the very end that could hint at a potential sequel that, very much like Talk to Me, might answer some questions later on in the film. But I would love to see a sequel of this, but I absolutely love They Clone Tyrone. It's pulpy, and it is an excellent film. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Now that I've reviewed all the movies that I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into my final segment, which is what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters for the week of July 30th through August 4th. 2023 and there are some big movies that are coming out including one that's actually coming out on a wednesday not on a friday there are some movies that are subject to being released in theaters on other days of the week besides friday but a lot of times they're they're smaller films and it's also suggested sometimes that they're released on streaming platforms like netflix hulu paramount plus disney plus you name it they're probably released there but there is one film that I that I'm almost positive is going to be released in theaters on Wednesday. And I'll get to that movie in a minute. But on Sunday, July 30th, 2023, there is one documentary that is subject to being released in theaters, and it is called Reinventing Elvis: The 68 Comeback. And this is probably one of the best comebacks in music history, and I'm not just talking about rock and roll history. It's arguably the first comeback in rock and roll history. And this movie tells the story in documentary form about Elvis and Steve. It is a true buddy story that highlights Bender's nexus with Elvis, I guess that's Steve Bender, to accomplish the game-changer result, the authentic real telling of conflicts with 
Cole, oh, Colonel Parker to produce one of the most seminal moments in pop music history. So I know a little bit about the 68 comeback special that Elvis had. I don't know whether it was released into theaters. I know it was broadcast on TV at one point, and I also know that it was a very big hit. Now, Steve Bender, the subject of this film, the co-subject of this film, is actually interviewed here and not in archive footage. And the fact that he had such a hand at Elvis's comeback and is still alive today is quite amazing. Also, Darius Rucker, who's a good solo artist on his own, albeit you know, a a solo country artist, and used to be lead singer of Hootie and the Blowfish, is also interviewed in this movie as well. What Darius Rucker has to do with the Elvis 68 comeback special, I don't exactly know, but this is a film that I might see, but when I do, I'll let you know what I think on probably next week's show. The movie that is subject to being released in theaters and probably will be released in theaters on August 2nd, 2023 is a movie about which I am very excited. This is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. This is the seventh Ninja Turtle film to be released. It's the second one that is animated. And the way it's animated, I don't exactly know. It kind of looks like it's stop motion animation, but it also looks like it could be CGI under the disguise of stop motion animation. Either way, it looks like a great looking film. And this actually was co-directed by Jeff Rowe and Kyler Spears. And it was co-written by Jeff Rowe, Seth Rogen, and Evan Goldberg. And it's actually great to see a Ninja Turtles movie that's actually written by somebody who I know was into Ninja Turtles when he was a kid, just like I was. Because Seth Rogen is about six or seven months older than me, so he remembers, undoubtedly, when Ninja Turtles were cool and when they were the the hottest thing and the best-selling toys because I was totally that kid whose parents bought him those toys from Playmates and I played with them for hours. Good times. But regardless... There is an all-star roster of talent here who who are voicing these characters. There are a ton of Ninja Turtles villains here. For instance, there is Bebop and Rocksteady, who's voiced by Seth Rogen and John Cena, respectively. There's Master Splinter, who's voiced by Jackie Chan. Great casting. Giancarlo Esposito voices Baxter Stockman, and this is the second time that a black man has portrayed Baxter Stockman after Tyler Perry uh, portrayed him very well, I might add, in the last live-action Ninja Turtles film. And I thought that Tyler Perry was one of the best things about the film. And I I would go on to the roster of talent who's in this film. I'm not going to do that because I've got I, I only have so much time to do what's coming up next, but... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is a film that, rest assured, I will see, and I'll let you know what I think on the next show. On August 3rd, 2023, which is a Thursday, there's a film that's coming out or subject to being released called The Hiding Place. This is probably not going to be as big a film as the Ninja Turtles film, but it's about a person by the name of Corey Ten Boom and her family who risk everything to hide Jewish refugees by the hundreds, and they ultimately face the consequences when they are discovered. So this actually looks like a stage play, and it's only going to be in theaters on August 3rd and August 5th. I think this is one of these Fathom events. So 
a lot of Fathom events I end up missing, not because I want to, but only because I only have so much time to go to the movies. But this looks like a very intriguing stage play, and it's about a very heavy topic. But don't depend on me to see this film, because it's likely that I won't. But if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. But on August 4th, 2023, this is a Friday, and there are some big films that are going to come out, and I think that the Ninja Turtles film was wise in setting itself apart, at least by day, from some of these other films. One of the films that is subject to being released in theaters is a film that's called Meg 2, The Trench. This is, of course, the sequel to the film The Meg, which was about not only a shark, it was about a giant shark, a megalodon which is about as big as a blue whale, maybe even bigger, but it's even more dangerous because it's a shark. But in this film, uh, a research team encounters multiple threats while exploring the depths of the ocean, including a malevolent mining operation. I don't know exactly if it's wise to come out with an action film that comes out uh, about that, that comes out months after that tragedy with that deep sea diving vessel that, killed everyone on board who was trying to see the Titanic down at the bottom of the ocean floor. But I think if people might put that bias aside, they would see this film. But it does have a very impressive cast, including Jason Statham, who's the star of the film, Jing Wu, Sienna Giroy, and Cliff Curtis, amongst other people. So this is a film that I will likely see but no guarantee, but if I do, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And the other film that I'll cover that is subject to being released in theaters on August 4th is a comedy that's called Corner Office. And this film actually has an all-star cast, and it was entered into the Tribeca Film Festival last year. It's about a, a compulsive bureaucrat by the name of Orson who discovers a secret room. What the secret room is... And what it reveals, I don't exactly know. But John Hamm plays Orson in this film. And the film also co-stars Danny Pudi from Community, Christopher Heyerdahl, Allison Riley, Sean McDonald, and Mark Doslaw. I'd love to see this uh, movie in films, or rather in theaters, because John Hamm is a really good actor. And he's been pretty good in comedies, not just on-screen comedies, but also on the small screen, like in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So I'm interested in seeing this film. It's definitely a break of type for John Hamm, who plays an unassuming office worker, as opposed to his classic role as Don Draper, where he played a very smooth and womanizing office worker. But in any event, the corner office of film I will seek out, and I'll let you know what I think on a future show. That just about does it for this episode of Words on Film. Words on Film is the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures, and I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, reminding you that the views and opinions expressed on Words on Film about movies or other topics are solely those of your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of any employees or volunteers who are working at WBCA or the station as a whole. Until I watch a whole bunch of brand new movies, this is Dan Burke saying I'll see you at the movies.